0: Hello, everybody. So excited. Welcome back to Redbeard Radio. We are the team at Redbeard Ventures. My name is Alana Dickman. I'm a partner at RBV. And we also have Drew Austin, who is the founding partner at Redbeard Ventures. As you guys might have seen in the first episode, we'll be talking about our thesis around investing and also bringing on guests and portfolio companies to talk about their views. Now, before we bring on our guests of this week and dive into our topic of discussion, which is sports investing, we want you to know that this episode is actually sponsored by Denari Labs, which is our upcoming Web3 tokenomics accelerator. So we're actually going to be investing in 100K in five different companies, and this is the last week to apply. We just announced three companies this week. The first one is Truth Labs that you all might know. It's the company behind Illuminati NFT, Grumples, Goblin Town. We also have ShareMint, which is a Web3 growth marketing and partnership platform where they launch Web3 native affiliate programs. And the last one is TravelSwap, which is a crypto-enabled travel platform, which allows you to book hotel, flight, and rental cars in over 100 cryptocurrencies, and then also creating a secondary market for these bookings. So we're going to be posting the link. If you're interested in applying or know anybody who is interested, definitely let them know and reach out and happy to chat with them and discuss. So guys, this week, we're going to be having Andrew Ehrenberg, who is a partner at Eber Capital and also an LP in Redbeard Ventures Fund One. Um, he's also really active in different sports leagues, tech, and also sports betting, so he's invested in Miami Marlins, SlamBall, Pro League Network, Commonwealth, which is actually the company who won Kentucky Derby last year, Gemini Sports Analytics, and so much more. So excited to have him on today. Um, if we want to go ahead and bring him up, uh, super excited to chat with him. Well, until he comes on, Drew, how are you feeling this week? I'm
1: good. I'm pumped for this episode. I love, you know, this is like, this is all my worlds colliding, you know, talking tech, talking venture capital, talking angel investing and talking, you know, sports. These are... This is my world kind of all coming together. You know, most, most people know Redbeard Ventures because of our blockchain and Web3 investing. You know, that's where we kind of put, our, put ourselves on the map. That's also where our fund is focused. But there's so much overlap in that world nowadays, especially as more and more companies are looking into ways that they can you know, leverage some of the technologies and capabilities and distributed ownership uh, uh, potential of the blockchain. We're seeing more and more crossover. Um, between this, like these ecosystems. So, you know, quickly, I could touch a little bit on some of Redbeard's investments while we wait for Andrews. Mm-hmm. Is he in the room yet? Or I don't, I'm like, well, someone will get him in there. I, guess.
0: I don't see him yet. Before we dive into our investments, I'm just wondering how many fantasy sports leagues are you a part of?
1: I oh <laughs> um, don't want to know. Uh, he's, <laughs> on. he's messaging you right now. So I'm letting him you know. In, so he says in the waiting room. Um, so yeah, I am in, let's see, I have a um, a new Westport league. This is my first year doing because I just moved to Westport about seven months ago. So I'm in a Westport league. I'm in a college league that just became our 21 year league, 21st year of a dynasty league. I'm in a high school friend league. I'm in a Knights of D-Gen league. And I'm in a JPEG Morgan NFT community league. So. Oh, well, Five, five, like official leagues, and then this was my actual first year ever doing. Um ever doing uh, the best balls, fantasy best ball, which is really interesting. Um, you know, actually one of our one of our friends and who we do a lot of co-investing with, Jeremy Levine, is the founder of Underdog, uh, a, a, a very successful fantasy sports platform who really put the idea of best ball on the map. And for those who don't know what best ball is, best ball is super interesting. It's just, you do the draft only. It's a one day, you do the draft, and then you don't have to manage the team. The technology manages it for you, and at the end of the season, you find out who drafted the best team so it's like all the best of fantasy drafts which everyone loves it's like the best part of fantasy football but without all the work to manage the season so like this was really fun it was my first time ever doing it and it was just a lot of fun to do a bunch of drafts and also helped me to prepare for some of the other drafts that I actually am dedicated to and I and I do manage for the whole season so a lot of fun
0: I think we need a Redbeard Ventures one. I told you that we needed one, even though I'm gonna have no clue what I'm doing. But guys, let us know in the chat we should do it because I'm trying to tell Drew that he needs a six one and we yeah. need one for Redbeard.
1: <laughs> All right. We'll spin I'm, I'm, I could always handle another one. We'll potentially spin one up for the Redbeard community, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um well, yeah, touch a little bit more. I know we have a couple of our investments specifically into sports leagues and obviously applications that help sports betting. So what are some of the ones in our portfolio that are exciting to you right now?
1: Uh, okay, so hold on. I'm doing this while I'm trying to get John, um, Andrew in here. I think he's looking at the wrong StreamYard link. Let's see if, he, if this one worked. Um, but yeah, so some of the sports leagues that I'm... I mean, we've done, we've done a wide variety of sports investments. And I think part of that is, for those that don't know, I'm also one of the co-founders of Knights of DGen. Um, and you know, Knights of DGen is the one of the first... Was one of the first, you know, twenty twenty one, if not the first sports and sports related and sports focused NFT community and NFT project. Um, you know, we were the leading NFT PFP um, in the sports category in terms of sales on OpenSea, um, and we've just built this rabid community of sports fans that want to like bet on sports, play fantasy, watch their teams play, and that started getting us more deeply involved in the sports ecosystem as at large. And what was cool about it was we were able to um, we were able to really uh, bring bring like our community to the sports fan base to bring our community to the sports ecosystem, which was really fantastic for projects like fan controlled football, a um, fan controlled football, and uh, you know. Wagon United Soccer and, and other, some of the other teams we've invested in. We've also invested in like NFT projects that are related to sports like Green Park Sports. We've invested in Zed Run, the digital horse racing game. So we've done a lot of really interesting stuff in the sports space and just excited to talk through more of the business side of it.
0: Awesome. And I see we also brought on Andrew and Ted. So guys, what's up? How's it going?
2: Doing well, Lana. Great to see you. It's been a minute. How's everything?
0: Yeah, great to see you too. And I'm doing well. I didn't get the hat memo, and I guess either did Drew. But next time we might need one because you guys came in hot with the hat. Yeah,
3: memo. we'll send you some.
2: Got to got to represent our our properties, you know. There we go. There All we right. go. All right, guys. So
1: let's. You know, today today we're going to be talking. So let me first set some set some like kind of like context here. Um, our community, our audience, as you guys know, we have a very like uh, a very active and substantial angelist audience so like angelist uh, syndicate our syndicate now has about 4,000 accredited investors um, that are actively investing alongside Redbeard in um, a wide range of different companies and categories. You know, obviously, we're most well known for Web3 and blockchain, but over the last three years since the syndicate started, we've been doing a lot of investments in other frontier tech, other innovation, innovation, innovation-oriented uh, brands and businesses. And uh, one of the big um, areas of our investment thesis has been around like alternative sports um, as an asset class. You know, I'm a huge believer personally that um, in a world of on-demand streaming, uh, live entertainment is going to win the day. It's going to be the most in demand by streaming networks, by advertisers, and by consumers. Because, you know, in a world where we, we don't all rally around the television like we used to on Sunday night at HBO on HBO or on NBC X time, you know, everything I watch on TV now is stream, basically. So I don't have that, that real-time experience that I miss and crave. Sports is where we get it. Um, so I believe there's a huge business opportunity to sports, let alone the fact that this is the most like of all the investment categories. Is there ever, is there anything that's more fun than investing in sports to being able to, I'll tell you one thing that I validated very quickly with Knights of DeGen. you know, we became uh, early owners in a fan controlled football team. Uh, we named the team Knights of DeGen. We added Terrell Owens to our team, all this really cool stuff. And what we found really quickly is the concept of ownership and fandom is a tremendously powerful combination when when fans have a vested interest that goes beyond rooting, but actually becomes you become part of like you feel like you're part of the team or part of the of the uh, the results and the and part of the performance and and benefit from its growth. Uh, it just it it takes fandom to an entirely uh, next level. So, you know, let's us I want to like jump right in, Andrew. Let me start with you really quickly here. Um, so, you know, Eberg Capital, maybe, maybe briefly, if you could introduce yourself, Eberg Capital, and let's talk a little bit about, because you are one of the more active investors in the sports space and you, your father, who's also been like a a mentor to me personally and an investor in our fund, he's been, you know, he's so knowledgeable about the space and now you're coming up as well as the new class, uh, really kind of pushing the sports, the sports industry, industries forward. Tell us a little bit about what you got going on.
2: Yeah. Awesome. So... Eberg, so Eberg is something that came together somewhat organically, and it's kind of become a, a business over over the last couple of years. Um, but the the idea originally was that you know my my brother and I were deeply ingra- engaged across sports and crypto and sports betting specifically, and had a lot of ideas for kind of where the industry was going as kind of consumers and as kids who love business. And expressed a lot of ideas and interests around directions to take things, and wanted to invest in things, and wanted to f- kind of make our way in this world. And ra- rather than just, I mean, obviously coming from a successful background, like I, I like I had opportunity, I had the opportunity to invest money. But rather than just kind of giving us money to invest, we decided to build a business. And with my dad coming in with tremendous kind of deal making deal making abilities ranging back 25 years and with kind of my brother and i being extremely close to the pulse on consumer demand and trends like kind of made a really good team right out of the gate and started doing this but ebert capital you know it's a piece of our family office that we carved out specifically as a vehicle to invest in what we've codified as the intersection between Novel sports wagering and speculation products and, you know, the commercialization of alternative sports. So I think there's a lot of alignment in how we are seeing, how we're seeing things there. And, you know, we, we think those two areas specifically go hand in hand and we'll continue to have a deeply symbiotic relationship going forward. Cause you know, like sports, as we've talked about are they're more than a game. They're, they're a financial asset. They're a community. They're an entertainment vehicle. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I can, I, I'm not going to ramble right now, but that's, that's um, so Andrew,
1: real, real quick. Yeah. Let's just jump first. So we can give some people some of the context you guys have invested in a variety of leagues and teams. And like, I think the first thing is like, when you think of it as when you think of investing to be part of an ownership group, that's like part, that's part of the team ownership group is such like a, it's such a cool concept and, and it's far into many, but more accessible now than ever before. Can you talk about some of the leagues and teams you have invested in and what has that experience been like for you guys?
2: Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we haven't done a ton of things that are specifically fan controlled outside of Commonwealth, which I can speak to a little bit um, no, I'm not talking about sports, sports leagues and teams about specifically sports leagues and teams. Got it. So the, the list includes everything from a league like Slam Ball, which right now is centrally owned. It's broadcast in Vegas. It was on ESPN this year. We actually were able to get it up on some sports books like Circa. DraftKings is coming soon. So that when we've been a part of really bringing that thing to life. So that that's been really exciting. Um, kind of building that from the ground up. And it, as well as you know, more established teams that we think are undervalued, like the Miami Marlins, um, which my dad actually got involved with back in 2018. Um, and then, you know, there's things that are really specifically like alt sports incubation related, like Pro League Network, which actually has a portfolio of alt sports assets that it is working on. Getting media, getting media rights for getting streaming and getting social media right, and also yeah. getting getting them live on sports betting platforms to drive additional engagement. So those
1: that's are a, that's some. a great that's a great middle layer because like you know and and Ted, I'm about to ta- tag you in for a minute because there's there's you know you're you're seeing this side from actually more of the operating side of things, which is fascinating. Um, but like those though, there are some real common ground that every sports league. So like most our most recent investment is um NTL Racing, the National Thoroughbred League and race a horse racing league. Basically they're becoming the this is a new Redbeard investment. They're becoming the their goal is to become the F1 of horse racing and bring team sports to horse racing, which I'm super super excited about. I think horse racing is a very um outdated sport and really needs to be brought into modern times with bigger, bigger events, better experiences, easier to understand sports betting. I went with my friends. We had like 28 guys take a bus from Westport to Belmont uh, for just a random day. This wasn't like the Belmont stakes random day. We picked a Saturday. We all went We bet on horses, but I'll tell you like understanding the data, the analytics, the odds, the betting, like, it was just so complicated where like, it's gonna be a barrier to entry for any new fan to get involved. So like, these are things that this this national, the national thoroughbred league is really coming in and trying to reinvent, working with the sports books to bring team-based betting, team-based fandom, easier data and analytics and things of that nature to the the, the public to to, to reinvent this. Um, So, sorry.
0: Um, also, I just want to add, can we just show that our horse won this past week? It was the first horse racing and yes, betting is really hard. So naturally I just put $15 on our horse because I trusted Drew that he drafted the right one and it won. So pretty exciting, but I think there is something to be said about this future of sports betting and like how it's made simple and how you actually bet in as a team as opposed to an individual. And it was just overall so exciting to watch. So I'm super excited about
2: that. since we're talking about horse racing for one second, <laughs> I have to switch hats. Um, because Which I, I only brought one hat. Yeah. I have a horse who I think you guys might be familiar with. Um, this horse is affiliated <laughs> with um, one of our companies, Commonwealth, who basically, as very relevant to this show, does. Fractional ownership of horses, as well as of corn um, ferry golfers, and soon moving to USDA tennis players as well. And we randomly just, you know, we found this horse called Mage, who my our, our CEO Brian told us to invest in, so we put a little money into the horse. And my brother and I, next thing we know, we're going to Churchill Downs on Kentucky Derby day, and next thing you know, we're we're in the winner's circle um within one year of investing in this company so um it, it but kind of going going back to the point here like the the community built around horse racing and also like the whole experience of being at a horse race and i'm sure you, drew and alana you guys felt this when you guys were there but like it's really it's really fun like yes it's super outdated and it's like old and it's like kind of crusty and not updated yet but The experience of, you know, dressing up in nice clothes and like being in that beautiful environment and drinking and betting a little bit and stuff like it's it's fun. It's like so much fun. And like, I think it's an underappreciated, misunderstood sport in a lot of ways. And uh, there's a lot of ways to kind of rejuvenate it. And so I'm a firm believer in what National Third Bowl League is doing as well.
0: Yeah, and that video of you guys winning was absolutely insane. I feel like it's still engraved. I'll have to post it in there because I think it's the funniest video we made. One,
2: um, I, I literally like was catatonic. I like couldn't move really for, like, for like a few minutes. <laughs> <It was pretty> <laughs> <crazy>. <laughs>
0: That's Uh, amazing. And Ted, I just want to give some background about you. I know you've been on, we haven't had the chance to have you speak, but you're the co-founder of Texas Ranchers, one of our portfolio companies who's um, we invested in major league pickleball, uh, but would love if you could give some background about yourself and what you're building too.
3: For sure. Uh, So my background is pretty varied. I've done a bunch of different things. Um, I worked in politics. Uh, I was an attorney. I was at the sec doing securities law, like basically IPOs of tech companies um then i was in the SaaS space i ran a software business sold that um and since 2017 i've been running an early stage venture fund with one of my best friends um doing a lot of work in web 3 psychedelic medicine gene editing longevity all the like frontier tech kind of stuff basically trying to figure out like who's building the future and who are the people that i want to be you know hanging out and spending time with and those were the things that i felt really attracted to Um, but i've always tried to integrate all the different aspects of my life together my work my fun, my play, my business, like all one thing. Um, And I think like a lot of people in the U.S. really caught the pickleball bug over the last few years, um, which brought us to, you know, where we are with the Texas Ranchers. Um, If you want, I can talk a little bit about sort of like how the team came about, what the vision is and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. So
1: like first, I'd say like even before that, what like tell us about the pickle, like Major League Pickleball first, before we get into the ranchers, like what was it like to get You know, I know it was a journey specifically for you. We were were alongside that journey for a very long time. Tell us about the journey of like discovering this game to the league, to a team.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, discovering the game was, you know, mid-COVID, new baby, was dying to just like get out of my house and go do something and looking for excuses to leave and like go play with friends. And a buddy invited me to come and just hang out with him and go for a walk. Um, and in his neighborhood were these pickleball courts. So we walk by the courts. I'm like, what is this? I'd never even seen it before. I didn't know the sport existed. Um, and he's like, oh, let's go grab paddles for my garage and we'll play. So we go out there and I grew up playing competitive tennis in Florida, like in the district where like the top, top players in the country were. I played club in college, like pretty good tennis player. And we get on the pickleball court and we get absolutely worked by these two guys who must've been 80 years old. Like. I think that was probably my
0: dad. He's a (laughs) special pickleball and he's really good. So it was probably him.
3: (laughs) It was probably probably your dad. And so I was just like, what is this? Like, this is a really, you know, it's really fun. It's really social. You're close enough to talk to people across from you. But just I realized there was this whole skill set court angle thing that I hadn't really tapped into yet, despite growing up playing tennis and just became hooked. It's one of these sports that you can you can learn very quickly, but it's really challenging to master. And so I think that's why so many people find it so addictive um, and the social aspect of it as well. And so I started playing, I, you know, put together a group on WhatsApp for my friends to like get pickup games at the local court. And, you know, the group of five of us turned into 15 of us turned into 50 of us. And now there's hundreds of people in there. And It's become kind of a, a hub for pickleball community in Austin, where I live. Um, and so I was in the scene like that. But how I really got into you know major League pickleball and professional pickleball was through my partner Evan who's really the founder of the organization who brought in this opportunity to me and some of these other guys who you know basically just became friends with Steve Kuhn who's the founder of Major League pickleball became friends with this guy Tim klitsch who was the original owner of the ranchers who we bought the team from but who's still deeply involved and so we just you know we saw these people socially in Austin these are people who we hung out with and had dinners with and for a long time, I still didn't realize like what big business it was becoming. Like these were just guys that I was friendly with and who were doing this crazy new sports league. It all really changed at the end of last year when we saw LeBron James come in, when we saw Tom Brady come in, when we saw Gary V and Mark Cuban, you know, all of a sudden these really big names are coming into the sport and that's when things really started to shift. And so, you know, we went after an expansion team. We were trying to get the team for the Miami market. We unfortunately lost out on that bid you know, Patrick Mahomes, Naomi Osaka, Nick Kyrgios, like those are good people that own a team. Like I, I can appreciate that. Also partly because
1: we were, we were approaching it as uh, Pickle DAO. Yes. And so like we, that was right around FTX time where everyone was like yes. allergic to crypto.
3: So, you know, MLP, I think loved the idea of a DAO purchasing a team and having a fan owned team. Um, uh-huh. You know, their board, I think, was really on board with it. Then FTX collapsed. We know, you know, Tom Brady was tied into that. And I think everyone just went, from really excited about it to <laughs> no way this has ever happened. Like, you guys are done. And that that happened, you know, over the course of, like, a few days, I think, really post-FTX collapse. Um, but, you know, we, we just kind of kept our heads in the game and, you know, stayed abreast of what was happening. Evan developed a great relationship with Tim. Uh, we hosted some charity events in his backyard, we had hundreds of people coming out on weekday nights. And, you know, I think Tim just realized, like, what it's going to take to compete with these pro athletes and with these big names coming in, is more than what he and his partner at the time were willing to really put into it and wanted to bring in some fresh blood and fresh ideas and people with a different background to come in and, and take things over. And so, you know, really what we're creating is, you know, a path to the first fan-owned model, you know, in Pro Pickleball. Um, and, you and know, like Drew was, yeah, yeah. I
1: was about to say, which was really cool because for our Angelus syndicate, we were able to bring in, you know, what was it, must've been 100 LPs into yeah. the deal. So, and, and which is such a cool thing because you know, you get this vested fandom from a group of investors that are not, that are now like, they want the merch. They want to watch the games right out of the gate because they have that vested interest. So it's such an exciting thing to bring that to our LP base. Um, Real quick. So you guys have different functions. Um, Ted, you're like an operator on this team. Um, And you're, you know, as close to it gets to like building and leading and day-to-day operating. You know, Andrew, you're an investor. You're much more, you know, passively investing in a wide array of teams and leagues. First, Andrew, let me go to you quickly. What would you say are the areas where you see the team, the leagues and teams that you've invested in, you can use the most support from an investor like yourself?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think like I I would view us more as investor operators because we're pretty hands-on. We like to take large ownership stakes. We like to work alongside our founders, I would say the, the biggest areas where they need support is both providing in providing investors, providing partners, and also providing kind of strategic advice on how to run run a business because they're operating. I mean, they're these are these founders are often visionary people who need guidance around deal making, and I think my dad specifically brings to the table venture experience that is pretty irregular um in the sports world and that's why he's gotten so much attention um and then obviously my brother and i supporting him as boots on the ground and kind of having a close pulse on like fan engagement as well as connectivity to potential sponsors and other potential partners is really what they're what they're looking most for at at the early stages so it's something like that also just wanted to make a note so Ted and I actually cross paths. um About it's just crazy how small this world is. Just like when you when you talk about this stuff a lot and you're putting that in, out into the universe, the kinds it, like the world really becomes quite small. So like I, I and I think I was saying to Drew last night, like I I was pitching pickled pickled out to Drew like whatever yeah. a year a year and change ago, and it's totally it's funny to see things come full circle, and it's great to see that you guys have pivoted and landed in a strong position. So yeah, but it's great to reconnect
1: them. Yeah, it's awesome. So Ted, now from an operator perspective, tell me your side of things. Like how do you see, what are the areas that are the day-to-day most challenging? What are the areas where you see um, both most opportunity um, for growth, but also where you guys can use the most support from investors?
3: Yeah, I think that, you know, It's different every day, right? What the challenges are, you know, part of the sort of beauty and benefit and challenge of where we are in Major League Pickleball now is how new of a league it is. Like there aren't that many guide rails available, right? You know, most professional sports leagues have really strict rules about what you can do and what you can't do and the relationships between owners and the franchises in the league. We don't really have any of that, right? So that's both the opportunity and the challenges. What to focus on and what the core, Mm -hmm parts of the business are going to be because you know with the ranchers we're not just running the franchise we have a holding company that's doing real estate we're building physical courts we're building membership clubs for people to play we're doing content and media and you know there's docu series being filmed about the teams and things so i think it's really you know the thing that is challenging is prioritization which is the case i think in most early stage companies um but in terms of where we're getting the most support from our investors it's you know it's us doing a uh, good job of like communicating what we need to them. Um, And then they're just opening the Rolodex and bringing relationships in. You know, it's cool to have something that everyone wants to be a part of. Like our owners have been phenomenal at bringing us opportunities, bringing us places to put in courts, bringing us people who want to do, you know, content with us, bringing us celebrities um, and athletes to invest. Um, So I think it's really about harnessing the amazing group that we've put together. You know, the way that our ownership group looks is fundamentally different from how teams are typically run, where you usually have one family that owns it and controls it. We're really doing an experiment in what community building looks like and what running a pro sports franchise at the community level looks like and figuring out how to harness all that energy from all the amazing people we have involved. um, is definitely one of the biggest challenges, but one of the best assets that we have right now.
0: And what do you see the future of pickleball? Because I think it's going to really take this viral global movement in pickleball. And we're seeing it a lot, obviously, in the U.S. today, but not really as much internationally. So where do you see the future of pickleball? And how do you think it's going to hit that global phenomenon?
3: Yeah, I mean, we almost pinch ourselves every day with the rate that pickleball is growing in the U.S. I mean, it has been growing so quickly with no signs of slowing down. And I think you're right that internationalization is really the next aspect of it. Um, I don't know how much I can say about, but I'll say there have been a number of pro sports leagues abroad and other sports who have come to us and said, Hey, we want to bring major league pickleball to our country and franchise it, um, and set up a league here. So I think that international expansion is really the next wave. You know, we've seen like Padel or paddle really taking off in Europe and in Latin America, pickleball hasn't really even gotten started in most of these places. But now we're meeting you know some families and some athletes who are bringing it back to their home countries and seeing phenomenal growth there too so that's definitely one of the next things that's you know on the table for us is is starting to do events abroad but seeing the league start to spout up abroad as well
1: what are your what are your guys thoughts on so now like a lot of these sports that we're talking about here are actually some of them are traditionally like individual sports you know tennis pickleball uh, horse racing golf these are you know, these are traditionally individual or paired-based sports with tournaments and competitions. Now, what we're seeing as like one of the innovative concepts here um, that we're seeing across the board, we're seeing it in, you know, like we said, with National Thoroughbred Racing, we're seeing it with you guys in pickleball, we're seeing it in a variety of different places is this team-based concept, um, which obviously has been successful in basketball and football yeah. and, and, and hockey, et cetera. What do you think about the team-based model is um, enticing from an innovation and disruption perspective?
3: It's it's Uh, identity and culture, right? Like, you know, watching the PGA Tour or watching tennis, like you may have a favorite player that you root for, but you don't have the same level of like identity and participation as you do with team sports. Like the level of fandom and how rabid people are, you know, in that fandom – we only see in team sports and so i think for us it's really capitalizing on that and recognizing that people love to buy into the concept of a team and the team format is the one that's ultimately you know going to win out um, at least in pickleball we think that's the case i also think it's a lot more watchable it it levels the playing field more you know when you have a tour you often have the same handful of people winning all the time and you know there's like a separate pickleball tour and I just don't even watch anymore. Like I already know who's going to win, right? When I tune in, um, it, it's not interesting when you have that team model and you have, you know, the number one player paired with the number 45 player, you know, that's where I think things start to get really interesting where you have the trading and that dynamic as well. Um, so that's one of the dynamics that's at play for
2: sure. Yeah, that I I think Ted said it very well. I think the other piece of this that's a little bit more obvious, but it's true, is building local affinity is super important. And this is something with Slam Ball specifically we think about a lot because you know right now it's central. The league is centrally owned in Vegas, and that's very much intentional because we want to have full control over the brand and the experience going out of the gates. But for the sports, are really go national and go global and command of super large audience and an audience that doesn't just return to watch the sport but returns to watch the teams and the specific players that's very much a function of and maybe it doesn't have to be geo specific i think that definitely helps um you know i i think like everyone's cheering for coco golf in the u.s open right now because she's an american and right. it's it's great and it, it looks like the next coming of Serena Williams is <laughs> a little bit so like we'll see where that where that ends up. But um yeah, no, I think local affinity is a huge part of it. Yeah. and then uh, I, piece too.
1: there was an interesting experiment that fan controlled football did, which was community-driven teams. So like Knights of D-Gen had a team, board apes had a team, gutter cat had a team. Um they they brought all of their teams to one yeah. location. All games were in one location, so it was less geo because the way that they thought about their league and specifically in their model was we're a digital, we're, our business is global and digital. You know what I mean? Like we're going to need to be about streaming. We're going to be a need to be about digital engagement. The lo- For them, lo- the local component wasn't as big of a deal. It added to the experience, but it was just one place in Atlanta that we played all the games. So it is interesting to see the experimentation that can happen around fandom.
2: I I think that's super interesting. I guess the one my one concern with specifically that bottle is that you're limiting your you're, you're limiting your fans to like 10,000 <laughs> like and like in, in, in that specific example um but I think the general point you're making is correct that like there are things besides geo that we can rally around like for take pickleball for instance maybe people Maybe LeBron fans will watch LeBron's team. Like I I, like, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know and if there's numbers not- around that, but like, it would be interesting to see if LeBron super fans are watching those games at an asymmetrically high rate.
3: I think there's there's so few geographies that have teams right now. Like, you know, in Major League Pickleball, you know, for the coming season, there's 24 teams. You know, there's some geographies that have multiple teams. There's just huge sections of the U.S. and then the entire rest of the world that has interest in pickleball and doesn't really know where to go with that. Right. And so that's a big part of what we've been trying to do is how do you become America's team? Like, how do you become a Yankees, a Lakers, you know, these, these people would like you go anywhere in the world and you see people yep. wearing, you know, this gear. Um, yep. I think that, you know, we're trying to do local, but be a digital first organization like Drew was talking about and realize that fandom comes from everywhere. Ultimately, it's all about community building. And we're now finally seeing the tools. And this is a big part of what Redbeard is doing is investing in the tools that allow you to have these digitally native communities. Mm-hmm. We think this is the future of where our sport's headed and the future of where I think a lot of sports are headed. And so we're, we're all in on that narrative.
1: It's a perfect it's a perfect segue, actually, for me, because it got me thinking about um, one of our investments. It was actually probably, I think, our first sports investment was a company called Wagney United. So Wagney United, which is- there you go. There you go. It's so, Wagner <laughs> yeah, so United is a group that can that owns um, that acquired the, the 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 lead two European soccer team, Crawley Town. Um, first year, very was like it was chaos. I mean, listen, the the, the first thing I'll say is like having a bunch of Web three um, <laughs> founders come in and think they can operate a sports team uh, without like the real experience to do so. Is a very difficult challenge, and I think that what they what, what as an ownership group, I think a lot of the talk and focus was on Web three on being the world's team, it was on digital strategy, but we didn't focus on the fundamentals. Uh, and which to me, and it, it was something I, I I kind of I rib a little bit with the with some of the other owners because I'm like guys, like I used to say to them because I had experience uh, actually with fan controlled football that winning is first. Winning is the most important foundational part of of you're going to come in as a ownership group. You need to start with building a winning culture. And then that translates to everything else that people want to participate in around your team. And I think that was a huge learning lesson. And actually one of the best things I've seen this season and a turnaround that um, I'm seeing with Crawley Town specifically is they've they've stopped focusing on the name Lagney. They've focused, they're they not focusing on their digital presence as much. Right now, they're saying, hey, we need to be a winning organization. We need to let the fans know that we give a shit about winning championships, which is what the fans care about. And then we can get back to building on top of that. So that was a great takeaway. I mean, uh, Andrew, what are your thoughts?
2: I, I mean, I, I think that's a fantastic and It is something you, you, what, what this actually... Oh, my God. I, since we're talking hats.
0: <laughs> how many hats do you have <laughs> next to you? <laughs> I, I,
2: I have. I honestly have more hats than, like, any other on the planet. I had to put one year. on, too. I was like. Yeah.
0: I, I, have a, I have a
2: severe, severe hat addiction. Um, but, yeah, going back to the point. So, um, th- what you said made me think a lot about how um, we think about the opportunity with the Marlins, um, who, you know, have invested a lot of – time money and energy into making the fan experience better and to get people into seats and the real i mean at the end of the day like i mean we can do all of that but we gotta win and and attendance numbers are up this year um we haven't really done anything markedly different on the um kind of stadium beautification side or anything that notable there but we've or on the digital media side but we've been winning and we have a few star players that people are starting to rally around and at the end of the day as you said that's that, that's first principles everything else kind of comes after that and I and, and that doesn't mean that those things aren't important either like I think part of building a winning culture He's building a great environment for winning and building a great fan base and getting people excited, getting players and fans alike excited about being there. But at the end of the day, it's without winning, it's not, it's not going to happen.
0: Yeah. And Ted, I want to ask you, I just want to take it back to Pickleball for a second. So how many leagues are there and then how many teams are specific in Major League Pickleball?
1: you're about to you're about to touch on some yeah <laughs> it's dirty,
0: dirty. let's get to um,
3: yeah so right now <laughs> we are like in the midst of the breakdown of a merger between two of what are arguably the biggest leagues right so major league pickleball which is the team format and ppa which is the tour format announced a merger last year in november um, and over the last two weeks or so, that merger has essentially broken down and the two leagues are, are sort of going in their own direction. Separate that, from that
1: is, that, is that official yet or is it still in the works?
3: Um, I mean, we'll see what happens, right? There's a possibility that they come back together at some point in the future. I think the longer it goes on this path, the more yeah. we and MLP feel like we're winning and it just makes a deal less and less likely you know we scooped all the top players and you know there's a sort of secondary tour you know they might not like me calling it that but it's like a secondary tour called the app and there have allegedly been conversations between the app and mlp about doing a merger um so we'll see how it all plays out um we're we're very much in the middle of it right now we could spend an hour talking about you know this Battle of the Billionaires, you know, back and forth, trying to scoop the best players and, and everything like that. It's it's really high drama. The movie's gonna be phenomenal someday. Um, right. But that's sort of where it is now. And then additionally, there's a senior uh, like tour as well called the National Pickleball League. Um, we've got a team here in Austin that, that's great as well. And that's for like 50 and up masters players as well.
1: Can you talk um, a little bit quickly about the fundamental issues between the two different leagues really quickly? So like, there's obviously some principal differences um and how they view the business as well as the sport you know what are your what what would you say are those those differences
3: yeah so you know i'll start and say like i'm biased right like we own an mlp team and run an mlp team at the same time like you know we're investors in this all of our friends are in this i think we have a relatively objective view so you know there's some big philosophical differences ultimately what i think it came down to was you know mlp wants us to be a profession for the players they want to give them a lot of support like If you look at tennis and the tour format, if you're not a top 40 player in the entire world, you're losing money playing tennis. I mean, you can be a top 100 player and not be making any real money, right? It costs so much to travel and go to all these events and things. You get hurt, your career is over. You know, MLP wanted a more humane way of seeing the sport run. So, you know, we want to have a full off season for players where they can recover. We want to give them health insurance. We want to give them travel stipends. There's 401ks for these people. There's injury protection. So it's really a player-first organization. PPA, I think, and I'm not knocking this approach, you know, sees the players more as the product. They don't want to see them paid as much. They don't want to see as many protections for them. And that's okay. Like they're running a business. They can do it in the way that they want to. Ultimately, I think the philosophical differences really played out to our favor. We saw players getting, you know, offers from the PPA for literally double the amount of money that MLP was offering. And they went with MLP because MLP is who's been taking care of them, right? And who they feel is more values aligned with them. So that's one of the differences um, in values. And one of the big business, you know, breakdowns we'll say is, you know, MLP and PPA, were going to split player salaries. We were going to pay half and they were going to pay half. Um, And we were going to have, you know, going from call it 25% of the player days this past year up to something more like 50 50 when we got the schedule from the ppa this year we had i think like 20 percent of the player days and we were like wait a second this is going in the wrong direction you know what's going on here we thought we're gonna be even partners and i think just realized that you know at least our this is my personal belief not you know reflection of the ranchers is they just weren't really operating in faith with mlp and want us to kind of remain in their shadow forever not give us the player days and things like that so now we have you know, long-term relationships, long-term contracts with players where they're contracted for, you know, a certain number of days a year, a certain number of those days will be for playing MLP. Uh, but then we also are letting the players play in other events as well. You know, there's big national tournaments, right. and like this ballpark series that's been going on that's super fun. We're not having exclusivity with the players, you know, for those events. And so that's one of the big differences too, is they have some flexibility to go and play in some of these other fun events, which, you know, other leagues don't offer them. So, I think those are some of the main ones, and yeah, you know, t- I'm no, sure folks from PPA would disagree, but that's. Kind yeah, of it
1: hard. makes total sense. Are you familiar with? Um, so I'm, I'm a. I've been a wrestling fan since I was a little kid, and I've been. I I, I found that the new there was a, a an introduction of a new wrestling league about maybe five years ago now. It's called AEW, and what AEW did, they're actually owned by the Jacksonville Jaguars owner, um, Khan I think is his last name, mm-hmm. and uh, Andrew, if you know who I'm talking about, but um, Jacksonville. Ja- so what they did so it's been long known that the WWE has provided like they all of their wrestlers are freelancers which like creates a lot of liability you basically only get yeah. paid when you work you don't get a lot of the normal insurances and a lot of the protections that you normally would if you were an employee AEW came in and was like hey we're going to treat these guys right they're not going to work 300 days a year. They're going to work X amount of days. They're going to be employees. They're going to sign multi-year deals. They're going to be. They're going to get benefits and insurance. And he, And and I thought it was a really, and I and I thought he did such a phenomenal job of coming in and making that league become competitive yeah. day one and rec- and acquire some of the best talent out there because they brought those fundamentals and that those like player first mentality to the league. Um, yeah. And I, that's what I think about when you talk about. Um, you know, the way that MLP is handling things.
3: But also owned by the teams, right? Like the structure of the league matters. You know, MLP, like MLS is, it's a team-owned model. Like the franchises own the league. Totally. As opposed to having, you know, one person running the league and one major shareholder making all the decisions. Like you just get fundamentally different dynamics at play. And then we also can't forget, like, pickleball is about fun. It's about community. It's about taking care of each other. Like it's really this silly game that's become really serious and we have to remind ourselves of where we've come from you know and the way that we sort of treat people and the way that we perceive ourselves as well
0: I think it's a pretty serious game I mean if you see me out there I am running around that court what do you think it's going to take to really get people at the games watching the games and really create that fandom around it
3: I mean it's been happening already like The percentage increase, you know, of viewers from one season to the next is the hundreds of percents, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like we've gone from having a few hundred people watching a championship, you know, in season one to 10,000 people there now. Right. So I think it's naturally happening already. We're fortunate that we're really just riding this wave and doing the best we can to like stand it up and, and ride it for ourselves as an organization. But, you know, there's a lot of momentum there already. Um, and then I think the, the real next big piece is what the TV deals look like. You know, we went from yeah. paying to be on TV last year to now being paid, right? To be able to stream it. I just um, want to talk
1: about that, that's a great topic. Yeah,
3: and, and, and you go from, you know, these tiny deals to now, like it's on ESPN, it's on Amazon streaming, right? So more and more people are going to be exposed to it than ever before. Um, and I think the more people who come in and play, Um, The more people will have as fans who are watching as well.
2: Yeah, I I think there's another point to make there, just kind of from my outsider's perspective, because we're not directly invested in pickleball. But I I think one of the things that's interesting about it that it is that it almost has the golf effect in a way where people who the only people who like watching golf are the people who play golf. And I think we're probably going to see something similar in pickleball, but because pickleball appeals to such a wide array of ages and skill levels and general physical capabilities. Like there's the opportunity for it to serve a much larger market of individuals than even golf does. I don't know if there's going to be remotely the amount of money in that sport anytime soon as there isn't golf, but it's still uh, like, I, I think it has something to do with that. And I think that's, Definitely an interesting characterization of pickleball, and I think the existential question I have about the sport, and one of the reasons we have personally stayed away, as much as I like, totally see the arguments for why yes, like, is because I, like, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced yet that it's that people are gonna that millions and millions and millions of people are gonna watch it, but I, I, I would love to be. I, I don't even say proven wrong because I could. <laughs> But, but, like, I, 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 yeah, it's,
0: I think I mean, something we, interesting about, sorry, Ted, and then I'll let like, you go. I think yeah, something yeah. interesting about pickleball is it's so quick moving. Like, it's not like golf that you're watching them go into a car and to next. It's like, it's so quick. Like, I've actually watched a lot of videos and just when they're really good and they're just hitting back and forth really quickly. I mean,
2: stop watching. It, it, yeah,
0: it, 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 it. I, I think you need, uh, I'll send a video to you later and you'll just see how quick and how much like attention and, and it's just going so fast. And I just think that's our generation in general of wanting these quick sports and like that's what pickleball is doing. It's quick, it's easy, not easy, but anybody could play at them watching is so interesting.
2: So, so building on that for a second, this is a, was a large part of our, what, what excited us about the slam ball thesis is that we live in the age of highlights. And I think Drew, you said this at the beginning of this call, but people aren't sitting down tuning in at 8 PM and watching games as much anymore. I mean, I do that, but like the average sports fan probably isn't as bad. and the younger they get, the less they're doing it. And the, so having these sports that have high potential for this, hyper engaging short form content slam ball is a great example of it too it's extremely fast moving significantly faster than basketball or football highly physical and there's all the like basically every play is a highlight just like in pickleball or even in ping pong i think those ping pong videos actually perform super well on social media but there's like super rapid back and forth like i'm gonna watch this 10 times and lose track of time kind of thing like that I think both sports have have that in spades, so it's 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 interesting. For sure. So real quick,
1: what I want to talk about for a minute is, and this kind of goes into your um, Andrew, what you're just saying. I want to talk about the business and the economic side of sports and leagues and team ownership, et cetera. First, you know, Andrew, maybe you can talk quickly about. Tell me about the diligence process. Like, how do you look at these sports leagues? And teams or these investment opportunities. And what are you looking for in terms of the business opportunity and specifically as like an investment, because like, especially like we have angel investors who are, you know, watching and trying to identify, hey, what are the types of investments that I want to make? And I want them to to be able to, like from these shows, I want them to be able to take away things to help their own diligence process. Because our job is to present deal opportunities. And then it's their job to make the final decision of, hey, do they want to invest in these opportunities? Um, so it's, it's different than a fund, of course. So our goal is to educate them through content yeah. like this, so they can make their own informed decisions. Tell me a little bit about your diligence process, what you look for in the business side. And then Ted, I want to talk to you a little bit about the economics as well
2: man that that, that's a really good question and i'm gonna kind of give you a cop out it it depends answer but i'll kind of break that down a little bit because the 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 way we evaluated slam ball was extremely different from the way we evaluated the miami marlins or rail salt lake which is a a recent investment we did alongside alongside harris blitzer um but which is very different than the our thesis behind like f1 or alpine like i mean they're they're all very different but i would say different components that we look at like if there's a real estate component that like for instance with rail salt lake there's a real opportunity there um i think the strength obviously just like any other startup it's the strength of the existing management team um i think that's super important um with something like the Marlins or even like Alpine, it's the it's the value of the IP. So like uh, Alpine, for instance, is one of 10 F1 teams and F, F1, is, F1 as an entity is m- massively occurring in value and in our opinion is only going to continue to do so. And because Alpine is it, it, like, I mean, Alpine specifically is fantastic, but it's also because it's part of this, broader trend of F1 occurring significant value there and, and having pretty limited downside risk because the sport itself is so valuable. Um, and that, that, that's one way of looking at it. Whereas with slam ball, it's, we were thinking of that much more like a startup, like with, me, so me so let's,
1: let's take it to slam ball specifically because i think that's a lot of to me that's the specific a perfect example of an alternative sports league where you can get access to ownership of a team and a league what are the economics that you are looking at to, to determine is this business sustainable
2: right so i think a, a large part of that especially in early days is thinking about like will will this thing be able to will we be able to sell sponsorship dollars and will we be able to um, drive significant media ga- engagement, but at the end of the day, like the the way the the way of business like that makes money out of the gates is through is through sponsorships and is through brands wanting to be associated with it. It's not really media rights. I think it, like at, at the beginning, media right, it, like best case scenario is we're not we're not paying for we're not paying for media rights, which is kind of what ended up happening. But like it, 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 ultimately, to get paid a significant sum for that is going to take some time. And uh, I I think Ted can speak to that as well, but it's much more about, yeah, like will do brands want to be associated with this and how quickly can we get them to realize that? And with Slam Ball, you know, there's a one, there's a a one-year plan, there's a two-year plan, and there's a three-year plan in terms of like, like how do we, how do we want to engage with brands and how is the product going to improve over time such that we can, it can start selling itself because when it starts selling itself is when, we, is when the flywheel really starts.
1: I also think that that plays a really, it plays into some of the opportunity I think fan-controlled sports sees. So like for them, they've seen them, what they're starting to see is more of a demand for their technology infrastructure because of the fact that if they're able to get fans to participate in real time, make decisions, engage in the games, A, that brings a lot more value to the branded sponsorships. And I think that if we're, if as we're starting to see, I mean, if it's not, media rights which I think is the ultimate championship of, of sports if you land right. the right media partner the right media deal to me that that's what enables you to build a sustainable business um, but I also think we need to be innovating and thinking through how does how do brands go beyond just a a banner on the TV screen and how do they how do they get more value out of being a participant in a sports league and team so you know Ted that that kind of lends itself to you what are your what it, what you know? What do you think about the business, the economics, and how do you build a sustainable team and league here? Um, because that is going to be again like you don't you know? Of course, venture funding will take you so far, but then it then it then it comes down to can you prove that you could sustain? And I, I think that's been one of the biggest challenges I've seen across most sports leagues and teams is that if it's not one of the big four, then how do you continue to build something sustainable so you can build enough longevity? <laughs> to be able to earn the right to become one of the major sports. So, you know, talk to me a little about how you think about the economic side.
3: Yeah, so I think there's really three buckets to consider here. Bucket one is Major League Pickleball on the league level. Bucket two is the Texas Ranchers franchise and what we do as an organization. And bucket three is our holding company and all the other activities that we're engaging in that make money, right? So starting with the league, media rights is the Holy Grail, right? Big media contracts, that's what you really want to have. And sponsorships hold you over in the meantime, you know, fortunately like the people who are owners in this league are deep pocketed and, you know, we're committed to seeing it through until the point where that starts to shift. Right. Um, But, you know, I think it'll be sooner than people realize that there are large media deals that begin paying out to the franchise themselves from major league pickleball. That said, major league pickleball is involved in a lot more than just running the league. Like there's, you know, there, there's other things that they're doing. We'll call it like international expansion and venture style investment in real estate. And there's a lot of other arenas in which these execs are playing. And I think doing a really good job of, of taking up real estate in this growing sport aside from just MLP itself and are being really smart about how that works. Then at the level of the franchise, the way that most franchises work, I think, is fundamentally different from how we operate as the ranchers. And it's part of what has created us as the most valuable team in the league at this point, you know, based on where the races are happening at things, which is, you know, for the most part, the way it typically looks is an older wealthy family, usually men, they're usually white doing capital calls, funding the whole thing themselves. doesn't have to make any money. The franchise grows in value. 10 years later, you sell it for this big exit, right? We are running this like a business and treating it more like a venture-backed company where we wanna be producing revenue and being profitable you know, every year. And we're doing that through, I think, just taking a more like tech media enabled kind of approach than what people are doing normally. Um, you know, even in the way that we sell merch you know, and, and things like that, it's just, it's different, right? Like what people have to realize about our ownership group is like, we've essentially asked this question of what does the super team look like that can help us sell more merch than anybody else? And this looks more like esports than I think it does other professional sports leagues, where in esports you have like these hoodie teams of influencers wearing your gear. You know, you're not measuring success by championships, you're literally measuring by like how many hoodies and hats did we sell this month, right? And so I think we're taking a very similar approach. That's why when you look at our cap table, there's probably something like 40 owners on there. Every person is meaningful and strategic towards our North Stars of how do we get all of the eyeballs on the Texas ranchers and how do we sell all of the merch and it's bringing in celebrities it's bringing in you know grammy award winning music artists it's bringing in want, athletes who are champions. number ones we still want
1: championships of champions. course you still want a championships
3: <laughs> but like it's not the only thing that matters right um, and so you bring in these athletes you bring in these business moguls that have these you know really big presences on social media and who are all committed to working together to help grow this thing you know it, it looks fundamentally different from how i think other people in pickleball and in most sports are operating these teams I, um, and it, it's one of the the key things that separates us from everyone else
2: i'm i i know we're running up on time but i want to make one one point um kind of related to what you just said and this is kind of coming from the investor standpoint um i even well like i actually think and while I agree with you that celebrity involvement can help. Um, I, I, and I, there's a lot of allure around that whole concept and having a super, it's 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 but, it's um, this obviously doesn't mean that the league is going to attract a large audience. And I think this was a mistake that a lot of people, myself included, um, mm-hmm. made during the last crypto bull run when you could see different celebrities and influencers associated with projects. Um, obviously so, no, that's I like paid shills right like, correct correct i think if there's actually a aligned incentive that's great um but just having a name on a even if it, whether it's paid shill or whether they're even actually whether they're actually on the cap table as well yeah. i think understanding before making an investment understanding that celebrity or public figures level of genuine authentic buy-in is such an important thing to evaluate. And, and, and this goes back to the question Drew asked yeah. me. Like when you're evaluating new opportunities, what do you look at? If you're look, yeah, it's like if you're looking at that, you also should be looking at the the authenticity and depth of that engagement. I, I think that's
3: the place where we are winning the most right now. I mean, there are MLP teams with you know, like just using LeBron as an example, like nothing against him, but like his team was in the championships, you know, last season. He didn't even tweet about it, right? Like our owners have been screened by us and have an expectation that like, you will be involved. You are going to do work for this. This is not a passive investment. One, you have to write a check that's big enough that you actually feel it, right? And two, like you have to be in and helping. And then three is developing incentive structures for those people to help and doing deals where they benefit from getting involved. Like this is one of the things that I love talking about because there are a lot of celebrity owners in Pickleball who don't do anything. You get one press release out of them and then it's done. Like we have Celebrity Pro-Am tournaments. We have these award-winning artists coming in, you know, playing shows for us. We have number one athletes in their sports coming into communities and building courts, you know, in underserved areas for kids that need things to do after school. Like we're doing an impact organization with people who are being deeply involved. And, you know, we'll see, like, obviously some of the people are going to step up more than others. Right. Um, sure. But we have the mechanisms in place to make sure that these people are really bought in. And, and that's what the future actually is. It's not the name on our lease. It's, then feeling involved, feeling like they're part of the community, feeling like they're real owners who can move the needle on it. And I think you'll see that model is going to prove really fruitful.
1: And I and I think that we see it. Yeah, we see it at the most success. Like look at Wrexham. Um, if you look at Wrexham yeah. with the two celebrity owners coming in and completely re- and really bringing their media and and their their media expertise to the league. Um, And that to me was blew me away and was such a, such a model um, to do such impressive work. Um, And it lends itself to, you know, my, I guess my final question here for you guys is about, I'm curious about the streaming networks. Um, Because like, I look at the streaming, I like in a world of on demand TV, I said earlier, you know, I think live entertainment is king. Where are are we? Are you guys seeing interest across your your you know Ted your league or uh, Andrew across some of the other leagues that you're invested in from the Amazons, the the Disney Pluses, the Netflix, the Hulu? Are there are they yet showing interest in these alternative sports leagues to bring them to their platforms? Because I think that's where we're going to be that's going to be big business opportunity.
2: Are are you are you talking about specifically live broadcasts of those sports? Are you talking about kind of the narrative and storytelling layer around? I'm talking I'm talking live
1: broadcast. Obviously, like the F one, the F one Netflix show was the model to be able to bring attention to an up and coming sport, and it was incredibly done. That being said, I'm still curious about live broadcast, and I think that's where these streaming networks are going to. I think that's the evolution of the media deal for these um, these types of sports. Where do you, are you guys seeing any interest across that um, from the networks yet?
2: Yes. <laughs> okay. Good answer. Yes. Yes, uh, definitely. Definitely. Definitely seeing some. Um, I mean, that's
1: that's going to be a major driver to the bottom line of these sports leagues. There's no doubt in my mind that like we saw it with F1 on Netflix, the distribution and visibility that these platforms can create, not only for, you know, you know, if we could bring the real time broadcasting and then you layer in the, the story and the narrative to turn these players into stars, that circular flywheel of create fans, through education and fandom uh, through and stardom and storytelling and then letting them watch the sport. To me, that's the end game here. That's the end result here of the ultimate business situation for a lot of these leagues. And that's also where a lot of our investment thesis comes in is is seeing the path to that type of visibility um, and, uh, and business opportunity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So guys, so, thank you so much. This was a, so much fun. Really great. Yeah, great time talking sports, talking sports investing. Um, Final question, I'm actually gonna ask one more final question for you guys I'm running a little over. Um, What is, give me like, Ted, Andrew, tell me about the next big sports investment idea. Outside of, Ted, outside of Pickleball, Andrew, outside of stuff that you're already investing in, what is something you're on the look for? Like, what is something exciting that you wanna, you want to invest in if you could?
3: I mean, for me, it's fan-owned, fan-controlled, right? I think, you know, ultimately the success of these franchises comes from community. The franchises are successful because of the fans. And it's just inherently unfair in my belief for them to provide all the value and get none of the benefits. And, you know, we're committed to changing that through, you know, creating more equitable organizations that are owned by the fans. Mm -hmm. Then the next layer on top of that is controlled by the fans, right? Like you are not a passive watcher, you are a participant um, in it. You know, you're voting on like Things like what's the next logo, but also who do we draft and which plays do we run? Lovely. Voting in real time, you know, with those things, to me, that's where all of this is going, and it's something we're really excited to be participating in and leading in as well.
1: It's awesome,
2: Andrew. Any final thoughts? Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm trying to think of something that we're not already directly or orthogonally involved in that uh, that I'm excited about, but um, I think I
1: mean, I assumed you were going in the sports betting
2: direction. Right? <laughs> I, I can i can go in the sports betting direction so i i think like and you know the little shameless plug with wager wire um which isn't in market yet but i think this will start to be a really exciting trend as WagerWire and things like it are but um creating a speculative economy around in-play sports is really interesting and you know i think is in line with a lot of trends that we've seen and Web3 and the kind of retail investor revolution that's kind of been going on since COVID. Um, and, you know, having just sports as a new asset class to speculate on, whether it's actual team team or athlete ownership structures, or whether it's sports betting, like wager wire allows you to basically take like a live futures ticket and Sell it and talk about it, and let other people buy into it. So celebrities can start having their big Super Bowl future ticket, and allow and offer people the opportunity to all jump on it and ride it together. Um So th- things like that, building community around that, and building building up the speculative economy around that, I think is going to be a huge potential area of the next five years.
1: I I appreciate it, guys, and for our listeners, you know, you know, I, every week we're kind of trying to bring you. Uh, new categories, new sectors you can learn about, dig into that. You know, we at Redbeard are not only trying to Um, educate you from the perspective so that you can make more informed decisions. But we're also investing in We're actively investing in these ecosystems in these sectors. So the more that we can learn from experts, the better we are to curate deals and the better deals you'll see. And hopefully the better um, you'll feel informed in making investment decisions on your own. Um, So again, Andrew, thanks so much, buddy. Always a pleasure. Ted, you're the man. Let's keep it rolling. Um, I'm super excited for... uh, I'm actually going to be coming, I think, to Atlanta um for our our tournament in atlanta what is it, is it the 21st 21st
3: to 24th yeah peach Street mm-hmm. corners georgia
1: hell, hell yeah! <laughs> so i'm excited to watch our uh, our ranchers get after it in person for the first time so right uh, let's go
0: awesome <laughs> thank you so much guys yes. appreciate yeah. your time and looking forward to continuing to chat and uh, tune in next week at 3 p.m wednesday for the next red beard radio
3: appreciate it thanks for having us
1: Thank you, guys.
2: This has been a Redbeard Ventures production.